Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. Hey, Training for Manhood listeners, this is Dan Panetti. This week, we continue with our deep dive into understanding politics with Congressman Mike Johnson. He's going to lay out seven principles that you need to understand and wrestle with as you engage in the political process. It's important to evaluate where you stand on these core principles and then relate that to the policies and principles of each political party and candidate as you consider them during this election process. In addition, I want to give you enough time to order and begin reading our next book, The Meaning of Marriage, Fighting the Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God by Tim Keller. It's an outstanding book, and we're going to read and discuss this book each Friday in the month of October. So order your copy now so you can read along with us and learn about God's design for marriage. Now, here's an incredible message from my friend, Mike Johnson. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a good longtime friend, uh, Mike Johnson, with me today. Mike, welcome. Hey, Dan. Great to be with you. I love your work. I have always loved everything you've been involved in. We go back, what, a quarter century now? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty far back before we had kids, um, yeah. back when we uh, we wanted to change the world, and it's uh, it's neat to see how God has used both of our paths, um, not only in different ways but also in, in kind of similar ways. Um, you uh, you went through. Uh, we both uh, used law uh, as a particular tool. Uh, you became a constitutional attorney, went out there and uh, worked for a bunch of great organizations, and then God called you actually into the political arena. Um, I think, was it uh, 2016 you got elected? And Well, yeah, almost. 2015, I ran for the state 20, house. Okay. Yeah. Back in Louisiana. They're there for then, about a year and a half, and then Congress yeah. became open. So, yeah. Yeah, and then ran for Congress, and you've been serving as a congressman from Louisiana uh, now since then, and you're ready to, um, you know, I guess your your re-election coming up in November isn't even a re-election, so you've already uh, won that. There's not a candidate. Um, but I just, I appreciate, we'll start this, I appreciate your service. Uh, to our country in that particular realm. Um, but uh, I also appreciate uh, you have um, started a podcast with your wife called Truth Be Told, um, and you talk about important principles uh, that people can apply to then life and politics. Um, and you help people just kind of see through um, concepts um, where you're, you know, you, the, the concept isn't, I need you to vote Republican or Democrat or you know, vote for me, vote for the, the concept. I need you to understand these principles and, and why they work and how they apply uh, and then go out and figure out, you know, which party and which person represents those particular things. And so uh, you're actually coming out with a, with a book um, dealing with these uh, seven principles of conservatism. Um, but I wanted to ask you kind of where did that start? Where did you get this idea and, and how did we get here? And then we're going to walk through each of those uh, so that young men who are listening to this can look ahead in November, can wrestle with those principles and then say, hey, when it comes to November and I want to go vote for somebody or for the rest of my life, right? Or if these are the principles that I agree with and I'm standing on, who are the people that represent these particular principles? So, Mike, how did how did all this start? That, that's a great uh, opening there, Dan. Thank you for that. And thanks for the kind words. And I'm I'm equally a huge fan of yours and love what you're doing. And I, And I believe and I've told you this many times. I believe that what you're doing is so strategic because we have to reach the next generation. You know, Ronald Reagan, you know, he, he famously said that 
freedom is not inherited in the bloodstream, right? We quote right. him all the time. It's one generation you, away. <laughs> it's, it's one generation away from extinction. And, and we, we can't take it for granted. Yeah. And, and what Reagan was trying to communicate to us is that you have to pass this along through deliberate action. You know, scripture teaches us to renew our minds, um, to study, to show ourselves uh, worthy before the Lord. You know, um, we, God gives us his grace and, and we don't earn that, obviously. But, but what he does call us to do is seek him and his wisdom mm-hmm. and, and how that can apply to our times. And I know I'm, I'm going to mix a lot of metaphors here. And I know this is your, what you do all the time. But I'll often think of the men of Issachar, right, in yeah. the Old Testament where they're described as men who understood the times in which they lived and thus they knew what to do. Right. And there's not enough people right now, as you and I both know, that know what to do. Right. And America is facing some of the greatest challenges in our history. And, and, and people who believe in the principles that made America the extraordinary nation that it is have to speak right now with greater clarity and conviction and consistency than ever before, because we are living in an age where most people have no recognition of the principles at all. And, you know, so the the origin of the of of my seven core principles of American conservatism, this is a a book that I'm trying to finish you and I've talked about offline, trying to finish it in the next couple of weeks to get the publication so that we have it out late this fall. But Mm. um, the origin of this, Dan, is um, goes back a, a few years in 2018. I got elected to Congress in 2016, so I took the oath of office January 2017. I came in at the same time uh, President Donald Trump did. Um, that first two years, we had a, a it was a wild time. We had a, a big run as conservatives because Republicans had won the majority in the House and the Senate. And of course, we had the White House with President Trump. So it was an extraordinary time. We, we achieved all sorts of, you know, record breaking, you know, achievements in the economy, et cetera, because we advanced uh, certain ideas and policies. But one of the things that disturbed me in all of that time, and this is a phenomenon that's been going on for years now, is that a lot of the old assumptions have been scrambled a bit. And so uh, two years into that effort in you know, late 2018, I was you know, in my freshman term of Congress, each House members only served two years at a time, as everybody knows from civics. So I was at the end of my first term and I was approached by some older, more senior members, and they said, Mike, we want you to run. We think you ought to consider, pray about running for chairman of the Republican Study Committee. And RSC is the largest caucus in Congress, clearly the largest caucus of conservatives. But at the time, we had 146 members. So among mm. all the Republicans, you know, 200 or so Republicans in, in, the, in the House, 146 of them were members of this caucus that's about a 50-year-old uh, uh, caucus in Congress. And so the RSC is known as the policy shop. Uh, in the House, it is the it's been called the conservative, uh, the intellectual arsenal of conservatism in the House. And it's where our conservative philosophy is supposed to make its way into legislative text to inform the agenda that we advance for the country. Well, here's mm-hmm. the problem. To summarize all this long story. Here's the problem. In 2018, I was surveying fellow members and talking to lots of members in Congress and also the Republican base back home in my district in Louisiana. And, and I was realizing a common theme, and that is that a lot of people were having an increasingly difficult time explaining what it means to be a conservative at all. True. So if, if you and, and this is true today, you can ask uh, friends and associates, people you run into, hey, why, why are you a Republican? Let's say, why are you a Republican? Well, I don't like taxes and I'm pro-life and I'm pro-gun. OK, great. What else? 
Well, you'll find out after a couple of bullet points, people get pretty shallow in this. They can't really explain the difference between that philosophy and the one that we're competing against, which is mm. move to like European style socialism. You know, um, increasingly, that's what the other party represents. And so all that is to say there was a real need as I became chairman of the, the, this group. I ran for the for the post and I told my colleagues, guys, I feel like we're losing our way. I said, y'all forgive me. I'm from Louisiana. Everything's either a football or a hurricane metaphor. OK, so. It, let's use the hurricane metaphor. I feel like our nation is is sailing into uncharted waters. Mm. These are very choppy seas and there's some dark skies on the horizon. You know, it, when you're in a situation like that, you better remember where the horizon is, where the fixed points in the horizon are, or you will get lost at sea. And I feel like our nation, our party, our movement is beginning to get lost because we're losing sight of the core principles. What are they? Yeah. And so th this is what I pitched. And here it is, the seven core principles. I said, listen, I'm, I'm not I'm a constitutional law attorney. I have a background in all this, but I, I do not profess to be the world's greatest scholar or historian. What I am telling you, my colleagues, all my House Republican colleagues, is that if you elect me chairman of this caucus for the next two years, what we're going to do is break this thing back down to its to its origins, to its foundations. And and I believe I'm going to posit to you that if if you had to summarize a, a library of conservative writings, I mean, going from Edmund Burke, you know, in the 18th century to today, if you uh, if you had to boil down the Republican Party platform, all the things that we profess that we believe, right? I believe that you could condense that onto a half page, and I think it would. I would call it this. Posit to you the seven core principles of American conservatism. I believe it is individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity. Now, of course, under each of those, there are subcategories. Under human dignity, for example, is the sanctity of every single human life. But I said these are the things that made our our nation great in the first place. And we do well to stand by them and advance them today if we're gonna save this Republic and restore it. And so that that became our kind of marching orders and that's how we organized ourselves and it became a big success. And then it spread around the country to other legislative bodies, et cetera. And that was the origin for the book and what I'm trying to finish right now to get it out in this pivotal time. I love it. I love it. And those are those are great principles. I like um, I, you know, I always say if you if you can't take something complex and make it simple, I don't think you really fully understand it. Um, so let's let's take each one, though, and, and walk through it for, for, for people who need a little bit more of the processing. Right. Because it seems like, um, you know, on some of the things when you said it, it's like, you know, how could anybody disagree with those particular principles? And the answer is a lot of people actually do. Yeah, uh, there are people who, there are people who have different ideas. And what does that mean? So let's just start with individual freedom. Right. From a uh, from a philosophy, you know, philosophy standpoint. Right. Um, why wouldn't everybody agree with individual freedom? Where, what, what, is, what does that mean? Where do individual freedoms come from? What are you trying to say in terms of why that's an important principle? Great, great question. And let, let me say at the outset here, as we unpack this a little bit, that um, I, I always acknowledge that, that my list of seven principles is far from inerrant. OK, this isn't the word of God. Right. This it's is totally, my yeah. And as I told to my colleagues and I say to everyone all the time, listen, I would I would you can improve upon this. You come up with your own list. But I, I would suggest and I believe that if someone did an exhaustive study, they would ultimately come back to a list that probably looks pretty similar to this, if not if not uh, almost identical. Yeah. The important thing is that all conservatives begin to think through how we can most effectively share our philosophy with others. And that's the idea of it. And and, and I also say, and I'm, I'm hasty to say, we aren't committed to these principles because they're Republican. OK, and this is what you were alluding to in the beginning. We, I am a Republican, Dan, because the Republican Party is committed to these principles, not the other way around, right? We, th these are 
These are principles that are right and timeless and true. And by the way, each of them find their origin in the word of God in scripture. Okay. So that's why they're reliable. Um, and, and the only way for us to ensure liberty, security, and prosperity to make sure that is passed on to the next generation of Americans is if we fight for these principles today, because they are being openly challenged. And that's the important point. So individual freedom. Okay. The, the, here's the idea behind it. So the, the birth of our great nation, remember July 4th, we just had our what, 246th birthday as a nation. That is nothing on the span of human history. You know, when you, when you say that 246 years to a high school student, they go, Oh, gee, well, that's an eternity. Well, you know, that's not a long time. Okay. Right. And we're still an experiment on the world stage. And the, mm -hmm. and the, the founders, founding fathers, the, the people who put this together clearly admonished us to remember that they said, we don't know how long this is going to last, but, the birth of our great nation was inspired by the bold declaration right there in the nation's birth certificate in the declaration that our individual God-given liberties had to be preserved against government intrusion. So what we're having right now is the opposite advanced, right? There's a, there's a growing number of members in the Congress, the greatest deliberative legislative body in the world, who are advancing the opposite notion. First of all, they deny the existence of our creator, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident, they said in the Declaration, Jefferson wrote, that all men are created equal by God, not born equal, created equal, and that God is the one that gives us our rights. Well, there's a rising tide of persons in the country who have lost sight of that. They deny the existence of the creator himself, and so they believe that your rights derive from government and not from God. And that is a massive paradigm shift, a completely opposed worldview. And it leads to totally different consequences. And, yeah, and if those, yeah, if those rights are given to you by government, they can obviously be taken away from go by government. If those rights are given to you by God, right, then when government comes in and tries to impose different um, views or values or tries to take away those rights, then you have a right to stand up and say, no, these are things worth fighting for because these are God-given, not government-given. There are, there are government-given rights, right? You know, the, the, sure, the right to sure. drive on the street. You know, it's like, OK, if the government wants to take that away or change it to a different age. Right. We may not agree or, you know, with, with what they're doing, um, but that's different than life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's different than the ability um, to um, to live, uh, you know, without government imposing their particular views and values upon us. Um, the right to be able to speak freely, uh, the right to be able to assemble. Those are things that are, you know, our framers said, hey, we got to make sure that we put these in writing so that government doesn't come in. Uh, right, and try to remove those rights from the people, right? And so that's a really important aspect is they're God-given rights, not government-issued. Um, and so right, we have a right and, and to, that to defend is, ourselves yeah, against those. Right, and that is by definition what they what they call the unalienable rights to mm -hmm. life and liberty and conscience and free speech and the free exercise of religion and the ability to pursue happiness and own mm -hmm. property and build wealth and defend yourself and your family. Those are rights that are given to you by your creator. The founders acknowledged it. It was the founding. It was the, the quintessential founding principle of our country. And now people are trading it. And, and the founders also hastened to tell us and remind us in the Declaration and the Constitution and all the original writings. What is the purpose of government after all? The purpose of government, it says explicitly, is to secure those rights. Yep. And, and so what we have to do today, the idea is that, that you and I and, and, and people who believe like us, uh, by the way, who believe like the founders, um, what we have to do right now is advance ideas that always keep that aim central to maintain and increase 
the freedom of the American people. That's what distinguished us as a nation. Um, G.K. Chesterton, the, the famous uh, British philosopher, said one time, you know, America is the only nation in the world that is founded upon a creed. He said, what is the creed? Well, it's listed with almost theological lucidity, he said, or clarity in the Declaration of Independence. That statement, we hold these truths to be self-evident, uh, is what set us apart. It's what made us extraordinary, what, what led us to be the most free, most uh, secure, most prosperous nation in the history of the world. It's not even close. And we lose those beliefs and those foundations at our, at our peril. And then the next principle comes along, um, and it's limited government. And and mm -hmm. this one seems right, like uh, well, if government if government is there to secure our rights, doesn't government government need to be strong to be able to do that, right? Why are we trying to limit government? So what what is this particular principle trying to get across? Well, it's related to the first, and that's why they're listed in that order. So it, it for individual liberty to be maintained and to be championed government has to be reduced. You cannot have both. Ronald Reagan, I always quote Ronald Reagan. He was so good. The Gipper, he, he had a way of crystallizing complex uh, ideas into simple parlance, right? And so he said, look, uh, government is not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem, right? And he was onto something because what, what our founders understood is that legitimate government only operates by the consent of the governed. We have to agree to all this. And that, by the way, that's what a constitutional republic is. A government of, by, and for the people, as Lincoln famously said in the Gettysburg Address, is, is built upon this notion that it is, it is we who are governing ourselves under God, under the sovereignty of God, right? But um, it, government is more efficient, it is less corrupt when it is limited in its size and scope. And, and we know that by common experience. We know that because, by the way, come, these ideas, are, again, come right out of the scripture. Um, but, but the founders understood the fallen nature of man. And this is central, Dan, you know, right? Because the, the, the leftists, the progressives, they deny the existence of God and they believe that man is inherently good, right? Mm -hmm. And so that if, if government can grow large enough and, and, and collect as much resources as possible from the people, you can just trust the people in charge, right? The government officials, because then they will uh, find, if they have enough revenue and resources, they can fine tune all the dials in society and usher in utopia, the perfect society, where there will no longer be poverty, war, injustice, hatred, and all that, all the rest, because they believe man is perfectible, right? They don't believe he is an individual created with an estimable value by God himself. They believe he is just a social animal. By the way, this is the basis of Marxism, communism, socialism. And if man is just a social animal who's evolved from the primordial slime and has no... Uh, uh, king in the sky, God himself, mm -hmm. who tells us what's right and wrong and gives us the moral order. If man's just a social animal, then he must be directed. He must be perfected. And the government is the entity to do so. That's a scary notion because what our founders believed was exactly the opposite. We understood the truth of scripture, the fall of man, and thus the fallen state of man, that man is not inherently good. Man is inherently fallen. And so power corrupts. And as Lord Acton said, Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so you must distribute the power amongst many. You must separate uh, the power out. You have to have checks and balances, separation of powers. That's what our system is built upon. So we diffuse the power of government in order to preserve freedom. You cannot, uh, those are mutually exclusive pursuits. Yeah, and the Federalist Papers really kind of laid that out for us to, to help us right. understand, right? As the nation didn't want to get back to a king, um, but they proposed a federal government. People were very concerned about that centralization of power. 
Um, but, you know, as they wrote in the Federalist Papers, it was like, hey, listen, we've, we've got some checks and balances in here. We understand how this works. We've got a local, we've got a state, we've got a federal, we've got three different branches of government, right? We've got, and, and you know, Article One of the Constitution isn't even the president. Some people miss that concept. We think right. the president is right. so important. It's like, no, Article One is, you know, the Congress itself, right? Yep. And 500, 535 members and, you know, all those different things. So that's super, super important. I think, you know, a reminder to me is when George Washington wrote about the idea that government is a force, right? Mm -hmm. It is a power to get you to do something that you don't want to do. It has the ability to do that. And so we have to remember that. I think a lot of people think government is always there for our betterment and for the good of society. And the answer is, uh, well, government can be opposed to your individual rights, though. Um, and it can force you to do things. We just went through COVID, right? When government says you have to wear a mask, when government says you can't go to work, right? We understand government is a force. And so when you're talking about the importance of limited government, it's that idea of there are certain things that government can and should do, uh, and they need to do those and they need to do them well. But when they walk outside their parameters and start telling you how to live your life, all of a sudden, right, none of us have jobs and we're all wearing masks. And so right, yeah. when government when government goes astray, just understand it is a force and a power to be reckoned with. Uh, and that's yeah. one of the things that our framers saw, right, because they saw a, a king that was tyrannical and they saw that power misused and they never wanted to get back to that point again. So they didn't want their government to be able to set up to be a tyrannical force to be misused as well. Now, it doesn't mean that our government can't be misused, right? There are many things that it has done. We just overturned Roe versus Wade, right, with the Dobbs decision. So when government doesn't do it right, Right. Millions of babies are aborted um, and, and that is not a good place to be. And so we have to. Right, I love I love that the second principle is limited government. We need to understand and appreciate that particular concept. Um, right. The third concept is is rule of law. Right. And what, what do you mean by that? Well, um, it, before I forget, let me let me give you two websites. Um, Mike oh, okay. L.A. Johnson. Dot com. That's the okay. link where our podcast is on all the all the platforms. Uh, Truth be told, with Mike and Kelly Johnson. Yes. The reason I'm, I'm I'm referencing that as you did earlier is that we we unpack this every week, like you're doing, um, applying these principles to current events in government. So it's 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 instructive for a lot of people if they're into this, like you and I are. That's a good resource. And then, yes. And then, and then I posted the seven core principles in a one page summary yep. at my official website, which is mikejohnson.house.gov. Okay, so the two good resources. But the rule of law is central, okay, because um, when, remember what, when John Adams was trying to explain the difference between what we had set up here in the United States of America, our newly formed country, and what, you know, for example, Great Britain had, uh, mm -hmm. the empire there with the king, he said, we are a nation of laws, not of men. And what he meant by that was, we are dedicated to this proposition amongst others that we do have equal justice under the law. If you're going to have a self-governing republic, the people must have ultimate confidence in this idea that lady justice wears a blindfold for a reason, mm -hmm. the symbol of our justice system, right? She has a blindfold on because there's not two systems of, of, of justice, not two systems of the law. There is one that equally applies to everybody. You don't get favoritism because you're nobility or part of the monarchy uh, you know, as they had seen the abuses in Great Britain, we're all subject to the same rules. And yeah. that is critically important to maintain a constitutional republic. The rule of law is the foundation of our country in so many ways. And so to maintain ordered liberty in a civilized society, the founders knew that public and private virtue 
needed to be encouraged. They knew that justice had to be administered equally and impartially to all. Now, what, what's happening right now, and you can see it turn on the news this morning, you can see this playing out. The American people are losing their faith rapidly in our system of justice itself, because as, as we've all said, crying from the rooftop, the Department of Justice, for example, right now appears mm -hmm. to millions of American people to be weaponized, to be, they're, Merrick Garland is the attorney general right now under the Biden administration. The evidence is beyond refute. They are using uh, the, the branches of the Department of Justice to, to, for partisan political purposes. And that is a dangerous, dangerous prospect in a republic like ours. And so this, this idea that, that every branch has to adhere to the Constitution, that the judicial branch can't be allowed to assume or exercise legislative or executive powers, or heaven forbid, partisan political purposes, is just central to who we are. And, and part of this as well is, is transparency and accountability being keys to good government. And, and, you know, Congress has to faithfully perform its constitutional responsibility of oversight over all this. And you're going to see a lot of that beginning January in the new Congress that we're, we hope will have a Republican majority. Amen. Amen. Um, what about peace through strength? Yeah, you know, the first obligation of the federal government is to provide for the common defense. I mean, this is listed in the founding documents, of course, but um, it, it also follows the biblical notion um, that God allows civil government as a gift to us. See, the Lord, of course, understands that we live in the fallen, we're a fallen nature, we're in a fallen world, and that power corrupts, etc. And so um, God allows civil government, he ordained it, it's Old Testament scripture, you know, we trace it back to Exodus and Romans 13, and mm -hmm. God ordains the civil authorities with certain uh, responsibilities and, and powers. And um, it's necessary to maintain a peaceful society. So Maintaining peace through strength, that's really a phrase that was popularized by Ronald Reagan. What he meant was that America is, has been given this really this special kind of position. Now, um, you know, this is, a, this is a, um, a controversial notion to say America is an exceptional nation, but by any objective measure, you have to agree, if you look at it, that, that we are. Pope Pius XII uh, said after World War II, he said, you know, the fate of a free world was falls to the United States because we emerged as a great superpower after World War II. There's a reason yeah. for all that. It wasn't by happenstance. It's because we followed these core foundational principles. But what Reagan articulated 40 years later in the, in the early 80s and before that, he said, listen, we have to, a, a strong America is good for freedom and justice around the world. It's good for everybody around the globe. And the reason is, if there is a strong nation like ours that adheres to these principles, showing strength maintains peace. We don't have to use force. It's the, it's the perception of a strong America that we are willing to defend freedom and to stand as the bulwark uh, against tyrants and terrorists around the globe. Um, the idea that we are there maintains balance and order around the world. It keeps the terrorists and tyrants at bay. That's, this is yep. just a fact. Right now, sadly, very unfortunately, I believe the Biden administration is projecting weakness on the world stage. And Reagan said, be careful because weakness invites aggression. Weakness invites the wolves. And, you know, that's why you see the volatility all around the world right now. So we cannot get away from that central principle and the idea that America serves in a kind of natural role of moral leadership in an increasingly dangerous world. And, and yeah. these are very, very important things to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Romans 13, because that really is the government has the sword for a reason, right? It, it promotes the good and it punishes the evil, right? Now, what those things are, we have an opportunity to speak into our government and define those things. But that reality is so important 
Um, you have a great podcast on yours as far as border security uh, and the yeah. role of government on that. And that's that's a, such an important. So I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put the show notes in there and people can link to that one. But that's a really, really important uh, concept. Um, we just have like five minutes left here on the Zoom. So oh, you're killing these. me. OK, let's I know. Go. I know. Uh, but fiscal responsibility, um, you know, just that that's such an important aspect, right? Not only for, you know, an individual, but for our country as well, um, you know, to live within its particular means. But what about uh, free markets? Why, why would why would I why would the principle of, of a free market economy uh, be important um, for the best human flourishing in this particular country? Yeah, great question. You know, government often stands as the greatest obstacle to the real progress and prosperity of the people yeah. because free markets and free trade agreements allow for innovation and improvement and economic expansion. Because what you do is you unleash the people who are creative, you unleash the risk takers and the uh, entrepreneurs and the small business owners, you give yeah. them the freedom to pursue the American dream. And what they do in the process there is they create more jobs. They create a more upward mobility for more people. And in the, the objective, the, the ultimate task of government should be to get out of the way to allow for you this human flourishing, to allow yes. for people to, to, um, you know, reach their, their, their ultimate um, you know, possibilities. And when government is over-regulating the economy and over-taxing people who are trying to create jobs and getting in the way of this, it creates a serious problem. And so conservatives are often noted to be free market advocates. And that's the reason, because ultimately it's not about capitalism so much. It's, it's just that that is a means to the end of human flourishing. And that's ultimately what we're, what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. Now, we also have the, the, the concept of um, who is supposed to take care of those who are um, less than, right? Those who are in difficult situations, those who are, you know, um, you know, experiencing hard times. And and I don't know if you're familiar with, right, but um, Bastier's The Law, yes. um, I think yeah. is one of the, the best reasons why uh, the difference between individual charity um, versus government, right? Um, what he would call theft um, and right. you know, socialism where government comes in and, and basically um, forces a person to give and then it gives to a person in need. Right. And he says it, it, it does two terrible things. It, it uh, places the person who's giving and takes away the idea of charity. And so now I feel obligated to give. So it, it makes me mad. Um, but it also ruins uh, the receiver. Right. Because they, they don't um, have a person who's giving to them uh, because they love them, because they want to help them. It comes through the government doles, comes through the government hand. Uh, and so they expect more from it. And so I don't know if, if people haven't read the law, they need to read it. It's a very short uh, concept, but it really helps you understand how you know free markets um, not only help people succeed, um, but they are the best opportunity for people to help others in need as well. And, and sometimes we forget that, but we will be more generous um, and people individually will give more uh, than the government will ever give. And government, right, for every dollar they take from you, they're only giving away 10 cents because of the governmental system. So it's not a very efficient way to actually help people in need as well. No, that's exactly right. And just to put a fine point on that, you know, Scripture does uh, admonish us to take care of those who are less fortunate, right? That's, right. that's a Christian principle. It's part of our Judeo-Christian heritage. Um, and and also God says he loves a cheerful giver. But always remember, you any command of Scripture, you have to look to whom it is given. And that command right. was never given to civil government. It nope. was given to individuals. That's to the, the individual. Yeah, well, the exactly. last one is, is human dignity, right? And you already mentioned that in a concept, right? The the pro life, um, you know, idea comes under this. But what what else? You know, everybody's created in the image of God and has intrinsic value. Um, how how is this a, a particular principle that we need to make sure? And how does it apply? Kind of play out, right, from a governmental standpoint. 
Well, here's the thing that every every single person we acknowledge in the Declaration of Independence, our nation's birth certificate until today, that it, it, part of the premise of America is that we do indeed believe that we're created and not just happenstance and born. And when you're created in the image of God, you have an estimable dignity and value and your value is not related in any way to the color of your skin, what zip code you live in, where you went to school, how good looking you are, irrelevant. Your value is inherent because it's given to you by God. Now, when we recognize that, that leads us to what Martin Luther King Jr. said, is how you evaluate people, the content of their character, not the color of their skin, because skin mm-hmm. colors are relevant. And so right now, there's a rising tide of people, as we well know, critical race theory and all these other movements right now, they are very divisive and they're anti-biblical because they are trying to teach people the old Marxist idea that there are oppressors and the oppressed, that we are inherently divided by you know the color of our skin or these other determinants. All of that is not biblical and it's not American. You know, the, we, we're, we're striving to make a more perfect union. We always have been. But what we must keep in mind is that public policy has to encourage this idea, the virtue of all people, the virtue of hard work, the virtue of that being the pathway out of poverty. And, and to remember the central premise of all this, that it's a self-evident truth that we're all made equal before God. And, and not to have that truth twisted by political opportunists and movements of the day and all these other crazy ideas that run counter to that. America is great because we have allowed gradually, in spite of all of our sins as a nation, slavery and all these other things we've overcome, we're gradually come to the point where we were beginning to regard one another as more equal. And now we have these movements that are trying to tear that down. And I, I believe it is a direct contradiction of God's law and a direct contradiction of who we are as a country. Amen. Well, I'm down to under a minute. So, Mike, I appreciate the principles. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, you know, we will be in prayer for you uh, as you uh, have a position of leadership in our country, uh, for you and for Kelly, uh, not only uh, for your work in Congress, but for your family, for your ministry, uh, and just for you as an individual. We love you and we support you 100%. Hey, same to you guys and your beautiful family. And I'm, I'm so grateful for your ministry, brother, and praying for you and continue. The Lord continues to expand that platform because we need this now more than we ever have, as you know. Amen. Thank you. You got it. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.